Welcome to Fusion Health Radio, your source for inspiration, information and insight on what it really takes and what really matters on your journey to abundant health. Hello, I'm Anthony Sano. I'm Dr. Michael Smith. And this is Fusion Health Radio. Uh, this is episode one of Fusion Health Radio. Uh, good afternoon, good morning, good day to you wherever you are in the world. We're talking to you about things related to health and specifically a version of health that may be a little different than you've experienced it before uh, or understood it before. Um, I'm not the doctor here. Uh, Dr. Michael Smith is the other fellow on the other side of this recorder talking about health in a way that he's learned it over the past uh, 20, 20 years. years yeah. yeah. Take it away, Mike. Let's, let's hear your story. So uh, I got the idea for doing Fusion Health Radio because in my practice, I tend to fuse or bring together a lot of different things. Um, my primary background is in traditional Chinese medicine. Uh, I also do functional medicine and nutritional medicine and a certain kind of counseling. So when I'm working with people, um, and I primarily work with people with autoimmune disease, chronic and degenerative disease, so I work for the complicated stuff. And I love it because... Um, you know, it's kind of like being on a detective show where I get to be Sherlock Holmes and my patients get to be Dr. Watson. And we get to work together and figure things out as sort of a cooperative investigation process. And eventually we get to the place where people actually uh, know what went wrong and understand why and then actually have a sense of what to do about it. And usually what happens, you know, let's say I see people two or three years after I've, you know, helped them out and they're working on something else and they basically have a sense of you know how to figure out the why and if they don't then they come back and see me but I mean I think the easiest way to put that in perspective is the word doctor in its language of origin actually means teacher of common sense you know so as sort of an investigator I'm also trying to share with people kind of the how and the why of what, what works and what doesn't what goes wrong and eventually you figure out what to do about it and it's really really an amazing career for me because there's always something unique to everybody so in my experience with, uh, I guess, Western medicine, traditional allopathic medicine, um, when I was a kid, if I got sick, I went to the doctor and the doctor just said, here's some pills and didn't really investigate too deeply into whatever was going on for me. Uh, never bothered to ask me really a whole lot of questions, short of sticking a tongue depressor in my mouth and poking around and saying, yeah, okay, you'll be fine in a few days. Just take these and away you go. Um, I think most people in North American society Western society have an experience with doctors that isn't that really good and what you're suggesting is you actually get into a dialogue with people Yeah, my initial appointments usually about two hours plus You know and sometimes we're gonna be doing acupuncture at the end of that that may be 30 40 minutes, but um, the the detail of uh, the kind of questionnaire and um, You know palpation and checking things out and to really, you know comprehensively diagnose someone um, you know, it takes a long time because you have to ask them a lot of questions and get into lots of details. And uh, without that, you're basically kind of swinging in the dark. And, you know, I don't have anything against Western medicine. I mean, they've probably saved my life three or four times, which, you know, maybe we'll get to those stories someday. But, um, you know, their job is basically to manage a diagnosis, right? You go in there, if they know what it is through, you know, their criteria of diagnosis, or you have a lab test or, a, you know, they a biopsy or they swab your throat or whatever they go oh it's this and then they have a playbook you know literally i've seen the playbook it's a playbook and if it's not based on that evidence-based protocol they can't help you and you know the kind of glaringly embarrassing thing that does happen is a patient can go to a, a medical doctor and they'll, they'll say well i'm sorry sally but you're not actually sick enough at this point for us to give you a diagnosis so if you don't mind going home and waiting until something actually explodes then we'll be able to tell you what's happening and well, I'm, I'm exaggerating i don't think people expect things to explode but 
Um, People don't usually blow up, I don't think. No, not usually. <laughs> but I guess I'm going for imagery, you know. Um, and, you know, like I, if I was to diagnose that as a, a kind of character, I would call that being clinically passive-aggressive. Because if you're going to wait and see what goes wrong, you're not really doing what you would call healthcare in the sense of trying to, to discover the next step to promote health. And, you know, at this point, you may be going, this guy's, you know, really taken a swing at the Western medical paradigm, and I think that they deserve a good swing, but I think I would put the responsibility at least as much on our population and our tendency to want quick fix, simple answer, you know, don't really care as long as somebody else can, you know, you know, thanks, doc, you got my back, you figured it out, got a drug, got to go home, because we're not familiar with any other option. You know, and we're not, you know, not being familiar with another option. We just assume, I guess that's how you practice medicine. So um, I would say that most people experience medicine in a way where um, they don't know what they don't know. Yeah. But does that mean that people who come to see you have a better understanding of themselves before they see you? Would a, would a patient <laughs> at uh, Dr. Michael Smith's uh, clinic actually have more medical smarts, more health smarts? Uh, sorry, I started to laugh for a second because typically what happens unless they've heard of what I do... Um, through like an autoimmune forum or <clears throat> seeing me speak publicly or they go my book or whatever. Um, typically what happens is I'm like the person that they come to because they've tried everything else. Hmm. And then we sit down and they're like, oh, and I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to beg. This isn't about me saying I'm so great. But the most typical experience that I have with people that I'm kind of the last person that they, you know, hopefully see because hopefully they worked it out is they're like, Wow, you know, in like six or seven minutes, you've given me more information as to what's going on and why this has happened to me since I was a kid, or since I was, you know, I started puberty or when the, the illness actually started, and then anybody in 15 years. And that's not, I'm not the only one who practices medicine that way. I mean, almost everyone who does functional medicine, um, you know, that's our job. You know, we're, we're health detectives. We look for the root cause in the sense of in your specific physiology, what's kind of clunking around in a way that isn't working. And eventually that's going to, um, kind of hijack or borrow from other systems in your body and the, the problems spread out from, you know, immunity to digestion to nervous system to any number of systems, you know. And uh, when people usually show up, you know, to see me, we're, we're well into the, the pit of, it's really confusing. We have to figure this out. Okay, so you said something <clears throat> there a second ago, root cause. Mm -hmm. um, you've been talking about uh, how it is you experience medicine and your patients mm -hmm. see you and interface with you, that sort of thing. Um, but where's all that all come from? How do you um, how do you be as smart as you are? What's your experience? What's your story? Where did it all start? Uh, well, for me, um, I got into medicine kind of by accident. I was a professional martial artist, and one of my teachers said, you know, you're good enough at banging people in the head. Maybe you should learn to fix them up. And I'm like, okay, that sounds like a good idea. Why not? So I decided to study Chinese medicine because I was into martial arts, and it just seemed like a good... Uh, you know, they're parallel to each other. And uh, as I was getting into that process um, of learning Chinese medicine, and uh, I was training with somebody who said I should be a vegetarian, and I thought, okay, that sounds like a good idea too. And uh, long story short, I ended up very, very sick with a combination of Crohn's disease and colitis. And either one of them is pretty bad, but both of them together, it's, I don't know, Imagine a Detroit back alley in the dark with a lot of muggers or something. It's pretty bad. And it goes really, really fast. I went from a 165-pound professional martial artist to 112 pounds in the ICU. You know, I'm lying there as my mid-late 20s, uh, you know, begging the nurses to kill me. And there's these three old men, you know, 
hooked up all these machines keeping them here and they're cheering me on. I mean, every time I think about it, it brings tears to my eyes because, you know, I was, I was this invincible tough guy and I'm this, you know, I know I could look like an extra in a zombie movie and these little, little old men are like cheering me on going, you can do it, you can do it, just hang on until the drugs kick in. <laughs> you know, anyway, so I had that experience and um, uh, the Western doctors basically said, you're probably going to be weak and tired and in pain the rest of your life. And I was kind of going, I think I'm going to get a second, maybe third or fourth opinion because, you know. You even had that kind of awareness, even at that age, that whatever the doctors were telling you was kind of BS? Uh, not so much. I mean, my mother, uh, after we got out of high school, my mother went back to school and actually became a medical doctor. So, um, you know, lots of respect for her for pulling that off in the middle of her life. But also watching her learn all of that stuff, you kind of get a sense of it, you know, because the, the books are everywhere all of the time. And, um, so I always thought, well, that's an amazing thing to do. Uh, I guess I never really thought I, I would have had the, I mean, I thought of myself as kind of an athlete guy, right? So it's like, I probably don't have the brains to do like, med, like you're real, a, real medicine, ultra acupuncture. You're a jock. You're not a nerd. Right? <laughs> yeah, well, like, I guess I turned out to be a geek after all, but, um, um, anyway, at the time, so I thought, okay, well, you know, doing Chinese medicine seemed like a great thing. Um, but anyway, so I get out of the hospital and the drugs did kick in and I mean, I'm, I'm here obviously 20 years, 20 something years later, but um, the whole, you're going to be sick, tired, and weak, you know, that was not really, you know, my, that wasn't what I wanted to see happen, obviously. Um, working with Chinese medicine doctors, I was like, okay, uh, let's try everything we can, you know, to work with that. But in terms of really complex autoimmune diseases, Chinese medicine has a really great umbrella, you know, a really great way of understanding the big picture. But those kind of diseases are pretty uh, unlikely to uh, have really been treated very well in the history of Chinese medicine because, you know, a couple of thousand years ago, if you got that sick, you were dead. I mean, they didn't have the kind of drugs that save you from that kind of illness. So Chinese medicine was supporting things, but it wasn't like really rearranging everything in the way I'd hoped. And I mean, I was, you know, at least happy to be where I was. And then I got turned on to functional medicine a couple of years later. And, um, uh, I mean, honestly, I just fell in love because, uh, it's like functional medicine is really like Chinese medicine with a microscope. So Chinese medicine is all about systems and the interplay of all of these, these different systems. And uh, it's got a really amazingly vast amount of experience, thousands of years of, of seeing how everything interplays, you know, in terms of your health and your body. Functional medicine does the same thing. It's just at the leading edge of medical science. And uh, I can say that wholeheartedly and honestly because um, typically with the kind of research we work with, the lab tests we work with, we're typically seven years ahead of your uh, frontline clinician in terms of uh, standard medical care because they have to wait years for peer-reviewed articles and uh, insurance companies to say we'll pay for that test or we now acknowledge that new uh, bit of research as, as valid. So, you know, I went from being kind of a shy person, which is, yeah, I'm not really sure I'm smart enough to, oh, wow. I'm actually being able to work at the leading edge of medical science. So, you know, it's a fun turnaround. And within the space of a year, uh, applying the principles of functional medicine to my health, um, you know, and I was already in clinical practice doing Chinese medicine. And I was like, oh, this is changing everything. You know, so I started going, well, I'm going to learn this, not just for myself, but for my own patients. And uh, so for the past 17, probably 18 years, I've been doing Chinese medicine and functional medicine and nutrition. And uh, get really good results. And, but I have to say that, you know, my patients are committed because, again, they're usually, you know, oh, I've heard of Dr. Smith, I'll better see him because, you know, 
apparently he's the guy who takes care of these things. But I didn't hear about him until, you know, I'm, you know, I've tried this and that and the other thing. So again, I'm very fortunate in my practice in the sense that when people come in, they expect to be, you know, changing their entire lifestyle, their diet, you know, taking supplements three or four times a day, actually making sure they get enough sleep, and yes, getting exercise and learning to meditate and all that sort of stuff. Because um, when you're that far in the weeds of uh, being sick, you know, it's going to take everything you've got to get your health back. It's not like, oh, functional medicine, they finally found the magic pill. It's like, no, we're just really good investigators, and then we have to work our butts off together, you know, to get back. And it's sometimes months, sometimes a couple of years, depending on how far into the the process of chronic or autoimmune disease you are. So let's talk about the people that are actually listening to the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a number of different uh, health ideas floating around the internet. been that way for years. I've been a sort of health seeker of my own. I mean, that's how I first met you, mm-hmm. as one of those inquisitive patients at the end of my rope going, <laughs> Doc, what is this crap? Help me fix this. Uh, and that was, what, three years ago? I think so, yeah. Two, three years ago. Um, but what about the person listening to this podcast? They have uh, their own sense of health, things that they've read online. Uh, what is it that they can expect to hear from you during these podcasts? What's the sort of intention that uh, we're going to get into here? Yeah, so again, what's the idea of Fusion Health Radio is to bring together as many different streams of information uh, and even conversations, uh, opportunities to really look deep into ourselves in the sense of our you know, deeper psychology and emotional well-being. Because um, you have to, again, go at this in a lot of different directions. So if I was to throw it down a menu for the podcast, I would say we're going to have some amazing geek out sessions around functional medicine in the sense of like, it's your, your body is amazing. Like all the things that it does to keep itself going, to keep you going, are amazing. And I don't know anybody who doesn't really appreciate having that, you know, kind of laid out in a you know concise way. And uh, some of it's very complicated, but I, I'm, I guess I'm a very visual person, so I'm good at making up invisible characters and puppets to, you know, bring the point across. I also like to uh, plan on getting into looking at all the different therapeutic diets that are out there, because there's a lot of different ones. And, you know, it's quite often you're going to speak to uh, someone or, you know, start listening to someone online or their YouTube videos. And most people are like, I have found the holy grail of what food should be. And they're, you know, jumping up and down and they're hopefully very happy and fit people. And they, you know, convince us that they're right. And in some cases that's true. But interestingly, in my experience, being kind of a researchaholic, um, there's a lot of different therapeutic diets. And each one of them is actually uniquely good for specific kind of concerns. And also, having said that, um, there's sort of an order at which specific therapeutic diets can be put together for the optimal uh, opportunity for people to actually sort stuff out. So functional medicine geek outs for sure, really understanding therapeutic diets, getting into how Chinese medicine works uh, in a way that's using English vocabulary. Because the biggest limit Chinese medicine has uh, in terms of integrating with the Western world is it uses terminology that sounds like a weather report. Now, if you understand Chinese medicine, it's like the it's the coolest shorthand out there. Right? I mean, you can put like five pages of information in a paragraph in terms of terminology, but if your patient doesn't understand it, and they go home going, I'm missing something called yin, and I don't think that apparently I've got dry something and windy something and a damp thing over here, and you know, it's it's great, but a lot of people are just like, oh, I don't know how to really use that. So I, I, one of my hobbies is to try and make uh, Chinese medicine completely comprehensive because. It's just medicine. It just has different terminology. Um, let's see. I think another thing that I really want to get into uh, in the show is going to be around um, 
you know, like I said, personal, mental, emotional well-being. And, you know, that's sort of a mindfulness thing where, you know, at some point you're going to have to, you know, metaphorically pull over, pop the hood and take a look at what's going on in the inside of yourself. And, um, you know, and this comes around to kind of a thing that I, I was speaking to someone just recently about. This is, well, what is it the thing that you really, really do with people? And I say, I really try and help people figure out where they're stuck. Because inevitably, you know, working with people as long as I have, um, you know, it's a few weeks, a few months, sometimes two or three years into the relationship when they come back in and the conversation is, well, you know, Larry, it turns out you're actually really stuck with this thing in your, your job, your relationship, in your relationship with your parents, your kids, you know. Um, and that that's like the funnest thing is to really get into what, you know, what that's like, because I've been stuck in my life and I'm sure I'll be stuck again because <laughs> that's how we learn. Um, so I think that's a really fun thing to get into and, and that's sort of a very open-ended conversation for sure. Um, talking about things that are body-centered as well, like qigong, uh, yoga, fitness. I'm not pretty, I don't know. Uh, I think fitness is kind of a religion for me. You know, if I'm not in a place where I feel like I'm actually fit or at least working on some aspect of fitness, I kind of feel like I'm, in a way, missing something. It's just like, you know, um, um, Homer Simpson is coming in my mind as what to expect in the mirror someday. And it's not all of vanity, it's more just about momentum. And I think from... Having been literally near death, sick, you know, watching your health go anywhere but good, for me, it's just not like, oh, well, you know, a couple of years I'll come back to the gym or something. It's, it's uh, Fitness, I think, is essential for sure. Another thing about the podcast quickly is I'm hoping for two other things to happen. One is the listeners to type, in, uh, to put in the comments whatever question they have. Because I love really weird, goofy, rare, tricky questions because it gives me something to figure out if I don't already have the, the answer for it. And uh, also, I think maybe once a month we could uh, call on an expert, an author, a thought leader in whatever space they're in and interview somebody who's got something really amazing to add to the show. Because, I mean, I've got my ballywick of what I do, but I mean, I can think of a hundred people I'd really like to have an amazing conversation with about what they're doing. So it sounds like the uh, show is going to be a fairly comprehensive, uh, hopefully fun, educational experience uh, for the listener. And um, I mean, I'm certainly uh, looking forward to learning more as, as we go along with this. Um, I've learned enough about uh, health from you so far, and I'm sure I've only just scratched the surface on my own interests uh, and my own perspective. But it's, uh, it's always a curiosity to hear more about uh, other people's situations and that sort of thing. Um, I think there's one more thing I just popped into my mind here is, sure. um, and I don't know where it's going to fit in, but um, another thing that often happens in uh, my relationship with my patients is um, I start bringing in some of the traditional wisdom and practices from my First Nations or Native American background, and um, you know I'm always careful about sharing that stuff, especially in the, the sort of you know once it's online, it's you know anybody can do anything they want with it. So I'm always careful with what I share. Uh, in that way, but those conversations and sharing those practices uh, are quite often the most impactful for people because this is coming from a culture that's had a you know oral healing tradition that goes back probably three ice ages or something. Um, you know, if the old stories are true. So, um, I mean, that's that's it's kind of hard to question wisdom that's been around that long in cultures that didn't require cops and lawyers and insurance companies and stuff, right? Because it's, you know, it's a very, uh, very holistic, very, very deep approach to, to coming into what we would call autonomy, which is that, you know, kind of 
choice point moment in life where you actually decide to like and know and trust yourself completely. You know, and then, you know, kind of become un unapologetically present with yourself. You know, that, that's, that's sort of where that stuff goes. Um, but I always have a lot of people asking me, if you do a podcast, could you please share more stuff about medicine wheeling and more about, you know, these practices or, you know, what vision questing is really about or, you know, what a sweat lodge is like or, you know, whatever. But people just say, I'd really like to hear more about that. So, so I think we're going to uncover a lot of different aspects of, uh, of health uh, mm -hmm. and your different perspectives on health as, uh, as time goes on. I mean, it's kind of interesting to hear you recite a, a menu of what the podcast format's going to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, and certainly uh, hope to stick to that, but I'm sure that we may just go off track and off into different curious, wonderful universes around health. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's going to be fun. Yeah, for sure. Great. Uh, was there anything else we missed uh, in terms of uh, show number one? Uh, we got a sense of who you are, uh, what you're up to, how you see things, uh, who the listener is. Um, I could tell folks two bits about me. Uh, I'm a former patient of uh, Dr. Michael Smith's and a uh, quasi-radio-broadcaster, podcaster-aficionado. And uh, Mike and I get along like a house on fire. <laughs> so we decided to put a microphone down between us and see what we could get up to to, uh, to learn more about health uh, and carry you along the way, along that journey. Um, right. One of the things that um, uh, we can get into is just, I guess, everyday questions, I suppose, that people uh, ask. Um, like that age-old one is like, should I be drinking eight glasses of water a day? Um, and I'm not sure, did you want to get into that today or? Yeah, so I'll ask you, how much water should I be drinking? Well, I just wanted to throw something into the first podcast that wasn't just about, you know, you and I and what the show is about so that sure. anyone listening to this can actually have a takeaway <clears throat> thing to put into practice because, I mean, that's the point of the show is every every show you're going to be given something to go into and try. Okay. Because then we can get some feedback. Because, I mean, again, I'm sure a lot of problems, everyone listening to this is now Dr. Watson, and we're going to get together on something and figure something out because that's that's my favorite thing to do is, you know, have aha moments. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, funny thing about eight glasses of water. Now, if you take a glass, and I'm being a bit pedantic here, but a glass is actually a really, really big vessel for water. It's about 600 milliliters of water. A cup, in the sense of something that's got little measuring gradients on the side, is 250 milliliters. So if you drank eight glasses of water a day, you're drinking 4,800 milliliters of water. Which is uh, almost... <clears throat> almost five liters. Yeah, which is well over... Five pints, pints, I guess? Over a gallon. Over a gallon, yeah. yeah. <laughs> got Americanized. <laughs> so you have like, oh yeah, there's going to be American people listening to this. Oh yeah, we're in Canada, by the way. Um, How's it going, eh? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, yeah, so we'll try and make sure we keep, keep the measurements in, in, in both lingos. But anyway, medically what's interesting to me, unless you're a completely like hardcore fitness person or you're, I guess this is a Canadian reference, a, a logger burning 6,000 calories a day sweating your butt off, if you drink more than 3,000 milliliters or 3 liters a day, 3 pints a day, <clears throat> and you're not exercising like a you know fitness you know freak or whatever, sweating your butt off, you're actually going to force the sodium level in your blood to drop, hmm. right? Now, that's really, really bad for you. So your body secretes a hormone called aldosterone, and that re regulates the sodium in your blood, so your body forces sodium back into your blood. Now, that's a regulatory mechanism. We're meant to have that, and obviously it's meant to work. But if you're, and this is the reason I bring this up, say you're a person who's trying your best to you know, lose that 
extra fat book. You know. um, and you're drinking a lot of water to satiate your appetite and displace you know extra calories and stuff. And I've seen this happen, I don't know, hundreds of times. Um, so you're drinking, you know, eight glasses of water a day, like, you know, over a gallon a day, and your body habitually ends up turning on more aldosterone, like 24-7, because you're constantly sodium deficient or depleted in your blood. So, you know, that's not good, because if you have high aldosterone levels, what's important to realize, I'm going to keep this as simple as I can, is every hormone in your body is made of cholesterol. Right. Cholesterol turns into this and this and this and this, it gets more and more complicated. But then you've got testosterone, progesterone, the three estrogens, your stress hormones, a bunch of other stuff, and aldosterone. So if you're displacing all of those precursor things into aldosterone, you're now going to have a hard time producing enough of the proper estrogen ratios, the progesterone to testosterone ratios. And more important for most people, you're going to have a harder time uh, producing a proper stress response. Because now you're actually going, yeah, I really need that adrenaline. I really need that cortisol because I'm, you know, I'm a little late for work or whatever. And you're like, you know, I'd rather just, you know, pull over and nap because I just don't seem to be able to, to like, you know, get that whole fight or flight thing going on. So in, in the long term, we see the, the pathways that build hormones. It's kind of like a rut in the road. You know, you keep pouring water down the same, you know, part of your driveway, eventually you're going to have a big you know, dip in your driveway. And your body habituates that because it assumes that there must be a reason why you're drinking over a gallon of water a day because you know, you're the brain, right? You're supposed to know what you're doing. <laughs> Is uh, aim for two liters a day. And in fact, I actually make, well, try to make, suggest, <laughs> nudge along my patients to fill four 500 milliliter or half pint containers and put them either on the counter, which allows the chlorine to uh, boil off, uh, or in the fridge, if you like cool water, you can throw in a dash of lemon juice if you want. And to make the commitment to drink two of those containers in the first two hours of your day. So you're getting a liter or a pint in the first two hours, and then you're getting the rest of it throughout the rest of your day. Now, when you first try this, uh, as you probably would, your intuition would tell you is, uh, you're going to be peeing, as they say, like a racehorse for the first couple of weeks in the morning because you're suddenly putting in a lot more water. You have to be mindful to drink the water, you know, you know, 20 minutes before, maybe 45 minutes after you've eaten breakfast because you don't want to dilute your stomach acid. And as well, you don't want to be, you know, crossing your legs with your eyes floating while you're on your way to work. No, it's all, it's all about trying to, you know, get to that. So I think I would say start with like maybe 500 in the morning for a few days and then 750 in the morning. you got to get up to that liter if you can. And uh, the reason why that's actually a really good idea is if you look at um, human evolution, um, basically for the last three million years we've been going from primates to wandering, scavenging uh, hunter-gatherers. And one of the hardest things that people uh, do in terms of surviving in nature without you know, a cooler and a <laughs> Winnebago or whatever is you have to carry water over hills. And that's a really hard thing to do and it's really hard to make any kind of large water container in the sense of paleolithic technology, right? Water is really heavy. <clears throat> it's heavy, it's sloshy, it's noisy if you're hunting, you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think out of just uh, common sense, people have learned to carry their water across the hill on the inside so you can carry all your other, you know, tools and gear and stuff on the outside. And there's actually three different uh, teaching hospitals in the world right now that are running this as an actual clinical experimental trial, uh, specifically for kidney disease, diabetes, heart disease. And the people who are committed to a liter of water in the first two hours and then sort of sipping and you know, finishing the, the next liter throughout the rest of the day, just that alone is considerably improving their health outcomes. And these people are technically quite ill. 
right? So if you're fairly, you know, healthy and you're just trying to avoid this or add a little bit of a, a boost to your program uh, of recovering from anything, you know, with a diagnosis, you can pretty much guarantee yourself once you get in this place, you're going to feel better. And for those of you who like to look in the mirror and have a smile afterwards, you're going to look better too. You'll be a little bit more flush because you got a little bit more water under the wrinkles. Well, I mean, it's a funny thing. When the body doesn't get enough water in the way that it instinctively needs it, it'll retain water. And oh. most people, and this, there's a movie quote. I'm not sure if I should mention the movie, but it's one of my favorite movies. Um, it's called Gross Point Blank. It's this really goofy, you know, assassin high school reunion movie. But the, they're all meeting each other again after 20-odd years. And this woman says, you know, it's weird. Everyone, they, as they get older, they start to swell up. It's like we all get puffy. <laughs> and mostly that's water retention because your body is, is scavenging water because you're not drinking enough water. There you go. Huh. So uh, the idea of drinking water is uh, uh, eight cups a day or whatever it is. That's total, uh, I don't know, BS. I mean, you don't need to drink that much is what you're saying. Well, I did some research on this, and I, I apologize. I don't remember exactly where I ended up with the, the fact. But I, I remember the fact. I just remember how to cite it. But there was a lot of research going back uh, in the early, mid-1970s when the obesity thing really started to become like a, holy crap, everyone's really getting bigger and now it's, it's off the charts what we're, we're experiencing in the developed world. But back then it was just beginning to be a thing. I mean, um, And I mean, this is crazy, but the, the eight glasses of water a day, which is almost five liters, uh, came into being as a protocol for obese people, morbidly obese people, and that's like over 350 pounds. Um, who drank the equivalent of 22 Big Macs a day in terms of fat, uh, protein, sugar, because there's sugar and they make their sugar in the bun and the bun. Sorry, they ate the equivalent of that much? Yeah. Okay. Plus all the salt. Wow. So they needed that much water to drop the sodium in their blood because they were eating the equivalent of 22 Big Macs. I don't know if anyone was actually eating 22 Big Macs, but I remember reading that reference going like, wow, I guess you would need, you know, almost five liters a day to keep yourself from dying from eating that much uh, sugar and salt and, you know. And whatever else it is in there yeah, that they call the, meat. Yeah, I think now they're allowed to get away with anything, but back, back then I'm, I'm, I think it was probably more like meat. <laughs> yeah, maybe, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I just thought that was a really potent reference to say, I mean, that, that was like an emergency protocol for people dying of excessive sugar and salt consumption. So the protocol is have a liter of water before you get up and then another liter throughout the day? Uh, a liter in the first two hours. First two hours. Yeah. That seems pretty easy. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Uh, simple advice. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I can pretty much guarantee if you put that into practice, um, you will notice a difference. And I do, do need to say, if you're an athlete or you work at a really hard job and you sweat a lot, you're going to have to replace the volume you sweat. And I think maybe I'll wrap this up because there's another factoid and I mean, I just the fountain of factoids or something <laughs> my new nickname. Um, factoid a day. Uh, well, when, when I was a martial artist um, back in the day, I was sometimes teaching like special forces in the military and stuff. So I got to hang out with some of their, their doctors and other people and um, learn weird, cool stuff about what they do with the military. And um, especially now with people working in uh, more desert areas and stuff, um, they have a guy whose job it is to walk around and make sure that everyone is peeing out uh, 1,500 milliliters or 1.5 liters or a pint and a half of urine every day. Because if you're not outputting 1,500 milliliters every day, you're probably damaging something. So, and I, this is a bit campy, but what I ask people to do 
you don't have to. Maybe I should actually sell these. Just, you know, get a picture that you can put on picture like a water container picture, not like a picture of your grandma. Um, put it on the back of your toilet. And if you live with people, you can write not apple juice on the back on, on the container so that no one wanders by you know, see a drunken roommate. You know? Oh my god. And what I actually get people to do is over a 24-hour period, is you know, if you're hanging out at home, is just keep urinating into this container and see what your daily or your 24-hour period output of urine is. And if it's less than 1,500, add more water. If it's more than 1,500, you're probably getting a lot of water through what you drink and eat. You know, I mean, vegetables are mostly water. Mm -hmm. you eat a lot of vegetables. That's a lot of water. So, I mean, that's if you want to, like, take the, um, the black belt of water knowledge for your body, this is the thing you have to do. <laughs> Get the picture. And you might want to do it, like, you know, uh, over a few weekends where you can, like, commit the 24 hours where you're kind of staying at home. Get the Dr. Mike P.O. meter. <laughs> Put it on the back of your toilet and live longer. <laughs> Thank God that's never going to happen. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, anyway, so if, you, if you're, like, really trying to work it out, especially if you're diabetic, have kidney disease, um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, or just want to optimize your health, you know, I mean, that's always a good idea. I mean, that's an experiment that's worth doing. And, uh, I mean, I've had lots of people who've done that. They're just like, I had no idea I didn't need nearly that much water because I've been drinking so much more because I thought it was better for me. And it's like, yeah, too much is too much. And now when you're suggesting that the four cups of water a day, sorry, four cups, pints? Four, uh, two liters, one liter in the first two hours. Right. Um, so that volume yep. uh, is just water. That's not including anything else you're doing in terms of drinking maybe tea or having anything else in your diet. It depends. So if you're drinking teas that are diuretic, and that's going to be like uh, matcha, green tea, black tea. Mm -hmm. um, there's probably other teas out there that are caffeinated that you know you should really look at the label and see if they are. Then they're considered to, it's not going to come into your body and be held as what we call free water as easily because you're stimulated to release water because of the caffeine is a diuretic. Um, but if you're having, you know, a, a tea that's known not to be a diuretic, then I would say that water counts. If you're having soup and it's got a nice broth, and you'll probably hear me say bone broth about a thousand times in the next year, um, that would be obviously the best possible water you could, you know, bring in. And again, most vegetables, you know, 85, 95% water. Cool. Uh, and I'm going to assume then uh, drinking pop or soda is not a good form of liquid in terms of water consumption? So this is where I'm going to sound a little bit like, what's um, oh, a polite way to say it, um, heavy-handed. I'll say this is going to sound a little bit heavy-handed. Okay. It's interesting that we're allowed to call the things we call junk food, junk food, when it's actually just toxic junk. I think we should just move the food to the places where it's food and the junk. And maybe we should have like a scale of how toxic the junk is. On the bottle, it's like cigarettes, you know, like, you know, Coca-Cola, 9 out of 10, bad for you, something like that. Sorry, Coca-Cola, you make this stuff, it's not my fault. <laughs> so I'll take that as a no. No. <laughs> no. So, pop, bad. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And I would throw this out there since we're getting into, you know, the, the water thing. I'm confident and hopeful that you are aware of, maybe on what people call the paleo diet, because it's what I would consider the kind of optimal mid-range diet. Although in another podcast, I'll put it in a headlock and give it a noogie because it's got some bad habits too. But anyway, if you're a person who's on a diet or wants to be on a diet that's going to be higher in protein, you're going to need to drink more than two liters of water a day because protein takes a lot of water to flush out the ammonia, right? So as you metabolize protein, it takes more water. I would think that uh, 
somebody who's eat, eating a specific way would actually be able to tune in and pay attention to how much water they actually need. They just need to pay attention to the type of water. I, I wish we had like a really good dashboard light that was like... There's nothing like that. There's anymore. nothing like... People habituate to the uh, satiation and craving for fluids. We call it thirst. Mm-hmm. Um, in so many different ways, there's so many different things in the background. I mean, I mean, honestly, like most pharmaceuticals make you thirsty. So, you know, you're drinking more than you need. Maybe you are, who knows. But there's just so many influences. Your diet, how much spicy food you eat, how many food intolerances, intolerances you may have you don't know about that cause swelling. Swelling is basically taking water out of your blood and putting it in your gut or your elbow or wherever the swelling is. So, um, yeah, it really just depends on everything. <laughs> so... <laughs> No short answer with what, you know, thirst means in the sense of, you know, frequently you're thirsty. Because there's the other myth out there. If you feel thirsty, you're already technically or clinically dehydrated. And that's not true. It can be true. But it can also be not true. a whole bunch of other reasons why that <laughs> sensation is happening. Fair enough. You so, know. so, okay, let's sort of recap the whole uh, tidbit. Bit. Maybe we've got to find a name, a word for this. Uh, the takeaway is... The takeaway is... <laughs> the takeaway is... Uh, and please put this into practice and... You know, a week from now, put in the comments what your experience was. And, you know, feel free to be funny because that's going to be part of the relationship. If we're not laughing, we're sicker than we were yesterday. <laughs> uh, take away two liters of water a day, uh, one liter in the first two hours. If you want to have some fun, get one of those Kool-Aid pitchers and use it to test how much urine you're actually putting out in 24 hours. And, uh, I mean, if you're feeling brave, we'll call it a Fusion Health Radio uh test pilots. <laughs> I'd love to know how much you are outputting urine in 24 hours, if you're listening to this. And um, maybe I'll figure out some kind of cool giveaway or something for people who actually go through the trouble to do that. Because I would love to know. Don't don't change your, your drinking habits. Live your life the normal way you are right now. Get the container. Now you do have to supply these to people. <laughs> um, and, and do the experiment. And, and put it in, in, you know, you can find me on Facebook or whatever. Uh, well, we have Fusion Health Radio, so it's Facebook slash Fusion Health Radio. Yeah. So if you're brave, you can put that up or make up a fake profile and put that up because I really want to know because it would be an amazing research thing to, to just collectively go, what, what what's the average for now, people? Granted, that's a great idea. This is our first podcast. Yeah. And I, if we get a few dribbles, yeah, <laughs> I got to find some, some, <laughs> some P analogies here. If we get a few people to pay attention to this now, that'd be awesome. Uh, I'd like to revisit the whole idea of water and P and measuring it perhaps okay. uh, in a few episodes. To okay. see I, I think that's a great idea to recap the whole and maybe link people back to the first episode if they want to you know, check it out if they can. Yeah, great episode. idea. Great idea. Um, I'm just looking at the. Uh, the clock on the recorder here. We've been at this for almost 40 minutes. I'd say that's uh, pretty healthy. That's exactly the time I was hoping for. There you go. Great intention. Uh, I'm Anthony Santa, and this is Fusion Health Radio, and I've been speaking with today... Dr. Michael Smith. You have been listening to Fusion Health Radio. Please add your comments or post a question at Facebook slash Fusion Health Radio.